welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. My name is Eric Patino. I'm Conrad Toll. And I, I genuinely have to give you guys a warning today because the topics that we're going to talk about on today's episode are going to be uh, for the special. <laughs> this is... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm laughing a little bit here, but honestly, the topics are very sensitive. We're going to be talking about the protocols of the learned elder of Zion. Uh, yes, those documents. And then later in the show, we're going to be talking about gender cults. So very sensitive, very touchy topics. Um, I don't, we're not going to portray this in, in a negative way, but it's still going to be, it's not going to be for everyone, right? So just keep that in mind. Keep an, keep an open mind in uh, today's to- topics. But uh, yeah, we're going to start with the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I suppose we should start with an overview. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, uh, where to mm. begin, huh? <laughs> I, yeah. So it was a. I suppose they first appeared to the public in nineteen. What was it? Nineteen eighteen, something like that. Uh. Well, I got a detailed list here. I don't know what. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is breaking up. I don't know exactly when it was here. I probably have it around here somewhere. Let's see. Da, 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 da. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, also called Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, is a fraudulent document that serves as a pretext for anti-Semitism, mainly in the early 20th century. The document purported to be a report of a series of 24 or often sometimes noted as 27 meetings held at Basel, Switzerland in 1897 at the time of the first Zionist uh, Congress. Now, their their uh, Jews and uh, Freemasons were said to have uh, made plans to disrupt the Christian civilization and elect a, a world state under their joint rule. And, I don't know, like, liberalism and socialism were, were to be the means of subverting... Sub- subverting... <laughs> <laughs> subverting this all and if the subversion failed all all the capitalists of, of Europe were to be sabotaged was that was that a pretty good that's a, roundabout yeah, that's definitely sums up the majority of it. Mm. Um, so I, would, I say mm. that it started. Uh, didn't it first? Wasn't it first um, circulated in Russia? Yeah. So it it uh, let's see. The protocols were printed in Russia in abbreviated form in 1903 in a newspaper called Z Zinamian Zinamian, or uh, as translated in English, Banner. However, it was first published in Russia in 1905 as an appendix to the great in the small the coming of the Antichrist and the rule of Satan on Earth by Russian writer and mystic Sergei Nilas. And, uh, you know, that that was translated into German and French and English and other European languages. And it, it quickly became a classic of the anti-Semitic uh, literature. And uh, even in the United States, Henry Ford's private newspaper, the Dearborn Independent, often cited them as evidence of a Jewish threat. So it was, it was it, this thing got around fast. <laughs> yeah. I think one one more thing I would like to point out about its origins is in the 19 um, early 1900s I think it you know right before World War one the uh, the Russian government was ruled by the Czars which were right 
the uh, the kings and queens mm-hmm. of Russia. I think it was King, not King Peter the Great. I think it would have been a different King Peter. I guess King Peter the Lesser <laughs> was um, ruling. And it was just before the communist uprising. And there was a lot of communist, um, uh, communist, communism was just about, it was just entering the scene. There was a lot of uh, the, the early communist thought I, Sure. Going around, there was uh, Lenin, I think, was already trying to go to power. And I think at this time, he would have been, Who? or just shortly after this, he would have been put into prison and then later would get out of prison in, um, and then flee the country. And then during World War One, he went back to Russia. So Interesting. It, this was just around the birthplace of a birth time of communism as we know it. So mm. that is important in context because yes. um, you'll generally hear or it is, is purported that communism is considered to be a, in this report to be the um, Jewish part of the conspiracy to help f- take over the world through communism. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. It, it's some communist ploy. So if you've, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really studied anti-Semitism a lot, but I do. I would be worried if you did. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I do think that I have heard before people claiming that communists are Jews or Jews are communists mm. or one of the two. Have you heard this before? Is that something that, that you've heard repeated a lot? I yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that feeling when uh, all, all this. Uh, anti-Semitism is, is talked about and, and it's, I don't know, it's weird. Did you, um, what what else did you find about the, the protocols? Like, who made the protocols? I don't know. <laughs> that's good, that's good because that could that could be for a part two. I have a, a suspect, right? I don't know if this guy actually made the protocols, but he's being credited as one of the main authors. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm going to finish up the timeline here for this, and then uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is actually said in the protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so although the exact origin of the protocols is unknown, its intent was to portray Jews as conspirators against the state. Right, because when it was published, uh, I... <sighs> was reading through some bits of it and mm-hmm. it's, it goes through like it's bits of anti-Semitism that are supposed to be the repeats of the um, conversations that the, the Jewish leaders supposedly have. Mm-hmm. And then it's put in commentary by the author uh, saying, you know, how evil the Jews are. And then it continues. And so it's broken up all throughout with um, anti-Semitic um, right. commentary. Okay. Um so in 1921, the London Times presented conclusive proof that the protocols was a quote-unquote clumsy uh, plagiarism. The Times confirmed that the protocols had been copied in large part from a French uh, political satire that never mentioned Jews specifically. Uh, also, um, oh, how do you say this name? Maurice, Maurice Jolie's uh, dialogue in Hell Between Machiavelli and Montesquieu. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. 
I'll put I'll put all this in the show notes if you guys want to um, know exactly what books are being mentioned here. Uh, but that one was published in 1864. Other investigations revealed that one chapter of a Prussian novel, Hermann's uh, Bizarre uh, in 18 yeah 1868 also inspired the protocols and the Nazi party uh, some some guy named Alfred Rosenberg introduced Hitler to the protocols during the early 1920s as Hitler was developing his worldview Hitler referred to the protocols in some of his early political speeches and you know throughout his career and exploited the, the myth that Jews were conspiring to take over the world uh, during the 1920s and 1930s the protocols of the elders of Zion played an important part in the Nazis' uh, propaganda. The the Nazi party published at least 23 editions of the Protocols between 1919 and 1939. Following the Nazi uh, um, siege of power in 1933, some schools used the Protocols to indoctrinate uh, students. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting that how quickly this kind of traveled everywhere and was even a major inspiration for Hitler's propaganda like the, the whole his he even made his own version of it which is the Mein Kampf and I I've read uh paragraphs here and there that I found from the from from uh his book but I've never actually read Mein Kampf I feel I would I would feel a bit dirty if I did <laughs> Um, I've seen the book. It's, it's, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's thing yeah, I know. It's really huge. long. Yeah. And, um, as far as I can tell, it, it's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so I really, it, yeah, it's just regurgitated information at this point for, well, um, it also is a bit of an autobiography too, because I believe that the English translation of the title is My Struggle. And so it's talking about his rise to power. Interesting. Okay. From from his point of view, obviously. Right. Um, but eh, it, it I, I really don't think that you would gain much insight from reading it. Right. Probably <laughs> not. I mean, it, it, it would be like knowing, hey, did you know Hitler was a vegetarian and a painter? <clears throat> Which is true, but what what are you going to get from that? <laughs> you know, was he like painting some trees one day and just he just couldn't get the trees just right? And then he got frustrated and he's like, I'm um, going to do world domination. Well, if, if you wanted to say like what ticked him off, it, it would probably be he was in World War One and mm-hmm. uh, people have theorized from like the things that he wrote that he was had PTSD, <laughs> which is. Um, I would not say a very good reason for people saying, well, this is what caused it. Right. But I don't know, maybe that you, you could say that that sort of led maybe like in some way, but it's really not a, I, I think a very valid thing because <laughs> there are a lot of um, you, uh, people who have PTSD are often afraid to admit that they have PTSD because people have so many incorrect <laughs> assumptions, assumptions about, about PTSD. It, yeah. And I, I really don't think that's very helpful to say, you know, PTSD made Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so I, I, you know, you might say, well, it was a, con- a contributing factor or something like that in the in the 
uh, untreated mm. uh, something. I hey, know. you know, everyone has hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, but I really don't think that it's probably too much to look at his book and say, this is where his motivation comes from uh, is, you know, poor childhood or uh, <laughs> improper paintings, not being able to. I heard he had or, a decent childhood. I honestly think the, the reason, okay, maybe not the reason, right? He became what we know him to be today, but I, 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 I just genuinely think he's just a, a man full of hatred. Yeah. Led down the I wrong think, path. I think that that would probably be it an accurate summation. Um, And I think it also combines with um, a a bunch of the prevailing beliefs at the time, which were very incorrect. And, Mm. and then also um, if another thing about world war one is it made everybody in Germany really upset with the outcome of the war. Mm. So I think that that could have just the, Oh, and the great depression. I think that just being powerless and going through all the struggle and everything, and then wanting to blame that on everyone else. I think it was just normal human emotion that started uh, feeding to hatred of some kind. And that just feeding kind of his delusion. Uh, yeah. Del- no, being fed delusions and hatred, a steady diet of <laughs> hatred and delusions for 20 years. I would say that that that's probably. It. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, this is not an episode about Hitler, so... (laughs) Um, Back to the protocols. So, in 1935, a Swiss court fined two Nazi leaders for circulating a German-language edition of the protocols in Switzerland. The presiding justice at the trial declared that the protocols were ridiculous nonsense, obvious forgeries, etc. The U.S. Senate issued a report in 19... Uh, 64 declaring that the protocols were fabricated. The Senate uh, called the contents of the protocols gibberish and criticized those who peddled the protocols for using the same propaganda techniques as Hitler. And uh, in 1993, uh, recent times, a Russian court ruled that the far-right nationalist organization had committed an anti, uh, anti-Semitic act by publishing the protocols. Uh, Despite these repeated exposures of the protocols as a fraud, it remains the most influential anti-Semitic text of the past 100 years, and it continues to appeal to a variety of anti-Semitic individuals and groups. So that's the timeline that I have, and it's it's um it's interesting to note that during all of this, right, all of this, it's a forgery. It's obviously just peddled garbage, uh, um, aimed towards uh, a hatred for the Jews and blah blah blah. But hardly, hardly any news has come out about who actually made the damn book, right? Like who actually made the damn protocols. Yeah, well, th- I think that's partially because if you did make the book, you would want to make sure that you were never found out. Because <laughs> here's the thing. If you make a forgery and you're like, oh, so-and-so wrote that. If it's found out that you wrote it, well, then that just absolutely undermines the credi- credibility of your sure. um, forgery. <laughs> it's like, right, this right. is the painting of the Mona Lisa. And it was painted by uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And then you're trying to pass off your forgery. And it says at the bottom, painted by and it's mm, any other right. name besides <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci. It's, so it's, it's sort of a self-defeating thing if you're going to try 
try and create the thing, you have to at least try to remove yourself from the picture as much as possible. <laughs> well, one of the... Indi- um, okay, so the main individual people think wrote the protocols is one bloke by the name of... Matvey Matvey uh, Golovinsky and uh, I actually uh, just texted you on <coughs> on Discord, Discord. Uh, his name. So I when I I and I wanted to do a, a, a complete detailed research about this guy, but there's hardly anything out there. Hardly anything out there about this guy. So uh, I I'll I'm still gonna try and look for some anything on this guy. Uh, to present to you, the listener, uh, just to see, you know, what kind of a political brack- background he came from, where where was he uh, born at, what what kind of just just what what was he exposed to that that made him want to allegedly right author the the protocols. So be on the lookout for a part two because I, I'm very interested in that part as well. So yeah, and the reason I mention his name is because I want to know if any of you listeners. Uh, I want to know if you guys heard of him. If you know where I could find some good stuff on him, please send me an email, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. And uh, I'll I'll even give you credit and a shout out on the podcast. So, yeah. And let's get into a little bit about what the protocols say. So, Conrad, take over, please. So, typically, uh, it's the... It's in the protocols. It's just a way for the... Um, it says it is a way for the Jews to take over the world. And the standard ways that it says to do it, that they'll do that is... Uh, primarily through owning all the gold in the world. Okay. So it accuses, um, uh, what was that guy's name? The, the famous moneylender fella. Oh, um, are you, are you talking about modern times? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm talking about, um, the fella that, uh, medieval time, he was the, um, he was, uh, the family, and they had tons of money, and they had a bank, and they were the only ones doing loans. Um, are you are you talking uh, about Rothschild? Okay, I was gonna go with Rockefellers, but the Rothschilds, the, the, yeah. So the idea is that the the Rothschilds were the, um, I suppose, one of the the starters of it, and what mm-hmm. they did is that they start, um, they go and they try and they they make all this. Um, money through lending and then once they get up a certain amount then they try and lend it to the government and so what they do uh, what they're told to do is to get all of to permeate the uh, government the bureaucracy to the highest levels and then try and get the governments to borrow as much money as possible to try and get as much um, interest as possible and make as much money through lending to the federal governments as possible and then from that they purchase gold and try and own all the circulation of the gold and then once they have all the circulation mm. of the gold then they control all the currency and then from there uh somehow they 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 purchased the world and they own rights <laughs> to everything um completely ridiculous uh Okay, yes. It's once they own all the gold, gold is the power of rulers and uh, gold rules over everything. So therefore, uh, in the in the in the age of gold, whoever owns the most gold will rule the world. It is generally what the protocols say. So the way that it works, how I was saying that in the protocols, it's supposed um, repeats of what their plan are followed by commentary and then repeat. That's supposed to be part of the actual, I don't know, grand strategist plan of like the bad 
guy monologuing. He says, and then I shall own all the gold. And then from there, I shall <laughs> own the world because gold is the ruler of is the currency of rulers. And then whoever owns the most gold is the most of the rulers or something like that. Mm. Um, so uh, in here, it says. Uh, so therefore, go forth and make all your children doctors and apothecaries and lawyers and uh, cler- uh, clerics. And mm-hmm. the idea is that uh, doctors and uh, all the people in medicine uh, will... Well, it says so that they can kill the children. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. So that you can you can kill... Um, uh, uh, one- <laughs> Okay, let me read this verbatim. Make your sons and daughters doctors and apothecaries so they may take away the Christian lives. Wow. Uh, and then the idea is, it says, uh, become Christians, uh, but make sure that in your heart you only have the law of Moses, which is really odd because I have a feeling that whoever wrote this did not have a good understanding of the Bible <laughs> or that they had never read uh, perhaps the whole Bible in its entirety because the, their idea is that somehow the the law of Moses is somehow different than the rest of the Bible or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I really don't understand what it means by become Christians, but make sure that above all you uphold the law of Moses, uh, but, don't, you know, be secret about the fact that you... <clears throat> I, maybe they think that the Jews worship Moses. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's very odd. Um, so, but I don't know. Maybe it's just different times. People, mm. Jewish people had different beliefs about. No, no. Maybe people have different beliefs about. Because whenever I've heard Christians talk about Jews these days, they typically will refer to the Jewish nation in a positive way and the, the laws of Moses in a positive yeah. way. Like, I, Maybe. I, my, my understanding for a very long time is that, you know, uh, Christians are not that, that different from the, the Jewish faith, right? We're, we're like, uh, some people, some pastors would even say it's one and the same. We don't. Yeah. follow the same path uh, uh, if you will uh, you know with the whole sabbath and all that but but we're very similar and uh, christians love uh going over to you know to israel and meeting the, the rabbis there and having these intellectual conversations about god and the meaning of man and all this and i'm like so wait why were the protocols made <laughs> uh- uh, and then later on uh, down it says, uh, once all the people are chained by a heavy toll of abject poverty because they're, they're having to pay large amounts of money uh, to pay taxes, which is then taken from taxes and put into um, paying off the government uh interest mm. but never paying off the principal just paying the interest and so the uh, people are then taxed into poverty and then from there uh the, it's supposed to be some sort of a form of slavery and then i see then we annihilate the aristocracy so that the people have um have no no one else above them but the uh merciless money grinders who have laid a pitless and cruel yoke upon their necks which is 
kind of funny because it, it's written in like the first person view of like interesting the, 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 the villain okay yeah. we have annihilated the aristocrats so that the people have fallen into the merciless uh, p- uh, money grinders who have laid a pitless yoke and a, a pitless and cruel yoke upon their necks <laughs> the, the thing is they're talking about themselves and calling themselves money grinders <laughs> Mm. I don't know. It's it's just a, a little bit of a the person who's writing switching between commentary and the um, their verbatim writing is kind of sometimes not properly switching between the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they go from in the in the um, commentary section saying how terrible and evil the Jewish peoples are, and then they switch to the Jewish thing and say how great and wonderful they are, and then they switch back to the commentator. And then sometimes they mess up <laughs> in the uh, um, the sure. reporter mode. They're saying how terrible they are. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you, what you're saying is they think they are evil and merciless and pitless and, oh, well. Anyway, just something that I, I just thought I... That is pretty interesting. I that's never probably that why I was, they probably That's probably why it was called a clumsy forgery. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... The, this was written back in the time where there were kings and queens. So when it's talking about the aristocrat, it's talking about overthrowing the um, the kings and queens. So it's very interesting that it all, when it's written, it's written in negative light because you have to remember when this was written, it was written when the uh, communists were coming to power and they were driving out the monarchs. Mm. So from the perspective of the commentator, they are pro king and queen and anti uh, communist. Mm-hmm. So it's funny to be reading this and it's in the commentary. It's saying, you know, how great the king and queen is. But if you know anything about the Russian czar, it's like it makes no sense. Anyway, uh, uh, then it, it talks about things like creating economic crises and uh, deliberately creating uh, famines, which is kind of funny because that is what the communists did. Kind of what Stalin did, um, but if you actually, so uh, I think it was the three founding communists in Russia is Stalin, Trotsky, and Lenin, right? Mm-hmm. And Lenin comes before Stalin and Trotsky. That's right. And Trotsky is the one that's fighting Stalin for power over the Communist Party. And Stalin wins, and he exiles Lenin, and then later Lenin is assassinated in Mexico, I believe, is where Lenin had fled to. Um, But the thing is, Stalin himself was extremely anti-Semitic, and it's um, kind of odd how much anti-Semitism even the communists have, because the Russians themselves at the time, the majority of the population was anti-Semitic. There was this area in eastern, no, in western Russia, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, close to Poland, is where all the Jewish um, families lived. Have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? No. So it's about a Russian, a Jewish family in Russia, and they live in these little villages, and they're not allowed to travel around Russia. They have to stay inside their villages, uh, their Jewish villages. Uh, and there's a name for them. I forget what it is. But that is where the majority of the Jewish people in Russia lived. Mm-hmm. And they were um, hated by all the, I suppose, regular Russians 
And then, so when the communists take over, they're still not the people who were in the villages and they still hate. <laughs> so it's two wow. groups of anti-Semitics calling each other anti-Semitic and then saying how the other group is, con- well, I guess the communists weren't saying that the uh, monarchs were Jewish, but regardless, um, it, it's just a little thing that it, the the monarchs of the Russian time were using Jewish attacks and saying that the communists were Jewish as uh, one of their defenses against communism taking over the country. Uh, so with that, I think I should mention this, um, what it talks about. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's talking about the uh, communists joining the uh the Jewish ranks. And it says, we will entice the people into our ranks, our, into our fighting forces, socialists, communists, and anarchs, anarchists. The aristocrats, for their own good, were seeing the, which the aristocrats of the kings are for their own good, seeing the workers are fed and healthy and strong. We are interested in just the opposite, killing out the cattle. Our power lies in the chronicle shortness of food and the physical weakness of the worker. <laughs> Uh, we want uh, envy and hatred. By by want, envy, and hatred, we shall move the masses to wipe with their own hands all those who hinder us. And when the hour striketh for our sovereign um, <laughs> goal, all the world will be crowned with the same hands that shall sweep aside everything that hinders. Um, bah, bah, bah. We shall create an economic crisis which we will stop dealings of exchange and bring the industry to a standstill. We shall throw upon the streets whole mobs of workers and simultaneously all over the world uh, who will rush to loot property mm. and delight to shed blood. Mm. So it, it's kind of interesting because that is what a lot of people would, would you know, they accuse communists of doing. And even today, that mm. is typically the most common thing that people um, claim about socialism, right? Uh, even in modern day, they say that um, Joe Biden is interested in giving everyone... Um, what is it? Uh, economic, um, uh, what, what do they call that thing when you're unemployment? There we go. <laughs> okay. I've never been on unemployment. I don't know much about it. Anyway, and then that unemployment is a way to force socialism because they make everyone unemployed and they're trying to kill the economy, which is interesting because, well, obviously this has nothing to do with um, the Jewish thing anymore. I don't think that anyone's saying that communists are all, no. or that socialists are no. all. Um, <laughs> so I suppose with uh, Joe Biden and all of that, I don't know what his, uh, what would be his end goal for trying to get the entire country to collapse? Do you think? Joe Biden's? Yeah. So, so yeah. Why would what? What is his motivation for trying to get the world to become? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What what what's his motivation? Well, th- that's as uh, kind of what I was. Uh, is trying to get at is it is a little unusual to say that the the idea of the communist is to create social unrest and social um, collapse and trying to get the all the uh, uh, factories to stop working and turn all the laborers out into the street and create rioting and looting and, and uh, prevent economic exchange and all of that mm-hmm. because. That isn't really what the communists tried to do. T- 
typically they want to rearrange everything but still keep things working because when like the communists took over russia the first thing that stalin did um is he started trying to get well, i guess it wasn't the first thing but he tried to push russia into the the modern era and mm. he, he said you know we must industrialize and he took people away from the farmlands and he made them all uh, steel workers and tried to get them to produce as much um, industry as possible so what you found in Russia when they had starvations is there was all these all this farmland that wasn't being farmed because there was no farmers because they had all been relocated to the city mm. where they were producing all the steel and they had all of this these steel ingots lying around with nothing to make out of them because they really didn't have a need for more items made out of steel. There wasn't a... They had all these steel factories, but nothing to turn the steel into. It was like, well, what are we going to make out of this? We could make huge ships, but we don't have necessary any necessary need for tons of ships, you know? Mm. So what you had is just a improper allocation of <laughs> uh, service and not the complete stoppage. So it wasn't like the communists were trying to stop industry, right. which I guess is what... Ah. <laughs> it is kind of interesting that what they did accuse the communists of doing here did actually come true because there was a lot of that sort of stuff that they were saying, you know, uh, when we will try and drive the masses to destroy things and we'll uh, create uh, shortness of food and make people weak and all of that. I mean, that, that kind of did happen. Didn't come from but the Jews, I, though. I, I don't know if it was... Would that be the communist intent? And here's another thing, too. Could they have looked at the communist... Is it? Does it require somebody with a huge brain to look at a socialist and say, um, that ain't gonna work. You're going to create all this turmoil and you're going to cause, you know, loss of jobs and all of that. Mm -hmm. Does that... <laughs> Your food is now ready. It's not mine. <laughs> <sighs> no, you explained that very well. Anyway. And, um... So, but here's the other thing. The communists didn't take over the world. Eh, but you could say that they gave it a, a good shot. And you could say that the they're still communists trying to take over the whole world. And, that, you know, they say that yeah. Yeah, the socialists are trying to undermine America and all of that. I don't so, think Bernie Sanders could do that. Eh, so, <laughs> you're like, eh. well, so Amazing. here's the question. Do, does there, did the plan, the, if, if the, if, if that's their case, if that's if right here is, the, you know, all part of the plan, mm. does that mean that the plan severely f collapsed? Uh, that's another thing too, because once the, this, uh, Stalin took over Russia and he drove out all the Jews and I don't know exactly, you know, all of what happened, but in the end mm. of, um, Fiddler on the Roof, which is, you know, the story of the Jewish family in Russia. Mm -hmm. They have been driven out by the government. The government says, we've taken your land. You have to leave the country. And they're just displacing all the Jews. And this happened before and after the communist takeover. And not all of them are being are driven out. I think that um, one of his daughters and her husband are going to Siberia at one point. So he leaves behind one of his daughters and she's going to Siberia uh, because the the husband is imprisoned there. Okay. Um, 
So not every single Jew was driven out of the country, but he ends up being driven out. And it's a very realistic portrayal of the fact that the vast majority of Jews were driven out of Russia or left Russia as fast as they could. Mm -hmm. So the question remains, if that was the Jewish intention, why were the communists still continuing the plan after all the Jews were gone? Oh, that is a good question. Huh. Because another thing about it is even the the communists, because um, Stalin even did a purge of the Communist Party because, <laughs> funny enough, Stalin himself was very anti, it was of the anti-Semitic um, belief yeah. that there was Jews trying to take over the world, just like <laughs> in the... Uh, <laughs> Just like in the, in the in the protocols and all of that. Yeah. However, <laughs> I think they're doing it to annoy annoy me now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Take one deep breath in, Conrad. <laughs> I was talking about something. Stalin, yes, Stalin and his anti-Semitic. Um, uh, beliefs. So he believed in sort of the same thing. I don't know if he read <laughs> this thing that's saying the Jews trying to take over the world through communism. And he's like, not in my party. I shall take over the world myself. <laughs> mm. But that's exactly how it went. Well, yeah. He, um, he went and he purged the party of all Jewish people who were in leadership. And wow. um, and when when Stalin purges, he, he it's not like oh I'm going to send you out of the party. No no no, it's off with your head. <laughs> mm. Stalin wasn't the kind of person who's like you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw my political uh, enemies in prison. No no no, he throws people that he doesn't like in prison. The prison uh, the uh, political dissidents he kills. Oh wow. So jeez. It's quite interesting that uh, even though their their predictions of communism did come true in some ways, mm-hmm. it did it without any Jewish leadership. Right. So it kind of makes me wonder, was the writing on the wall that obvious to people in the early 19th century, uh, early 20th Perhaps, century, I should yeah. say, Perhaps. that, oh, wait, communism ain't going to work, guys. And then they're just like, oh, you know what? It's intentional. They mean for it not to work. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of where it ends because there really isn't any plans that go beyond the, no. uh, oh, oh, there is also in here a papal conspiracy where the Jews have, um, taken over the, uh, the, what do they call that? The Vatican. Oh. That one's kind of, that one's really interesting <laughs> because I, I think it was written by a non-Catholic, definitely a non-Catholic <laughs> because there's the, um, the Russians had their own, uh, what, what do they call that? The, the Russian, they, they had their own version of Christianity, their own denomination. The, who? Uh, the Russians, they had their own denomination oh. of Christianity. Oh, I wouldn't know. So that. they were not Catholic. So uh, it was like the, 
what is it? The Orthodox uh, Russian Church or something like that? The East Orthodox Church? I'm surprised there's even like religion that. in Russia. Well, this is this is prior, uh, before communism. Mm, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're a little past our break, so we're going to go ahead and take our break, and when we come back, uh, Russia, uh, <laughs> Russia, Conrad <laughs> is going to finish up that little story there, and then we're going to get into the gender cult. So stick around, you don't want to miss the second part <laughs> and we're back from the break so um yeah if you have anything to wrap up the last topic conrad you can go ahead and take a few minutes to wrap that up eh, not really there was <laughs> there was um talking about i suppose the comp it, it, it's mostly has to do with this idea of the gold standard is one of the things that's brought up a lot and have you ever heard somebody say something along the lines of the, the federal reserve owns all uh, yeah, yeah, it, I've heard something like that. And it has to do with the fact that we're no longer on the gold standard and that right. was a terrible thing to get off the gold standard. And mm-hmm. and and then other people, there was a argument way back in the, I think it was in the 19th century, where they were arguing about maybe switching from the gold standard to a silver standard and being able to um, get gold from... Uh, no, uh, switch from being on the gold standard to a silver standard. Anyway, back in the day when the, all of this was being written, it was they were on the gold standard, which is when you could go in and you could ask the bank to give you the gold for from um, cash because they have the same amount of cash as out in circulation as they do have gold in reserve or something like that. And the mm. bank note is just supposed to be a representation of the gold that's in the bank. And so the idea was once you got tons of money from commerce, you could go to the bank and just buy gold straight from the bank through their exchange uh, and then own all the gold. Mm. So the And then people switched to the... Um, switch uh, away from the gold standard and you can't do that anymore and there's a lot of conspiracy theories on you know not gold not being on (laughs) the gold standard anymore and how it's going to destroy the economy and all of that i really don't think people understand currency is generally my understanding of all the conspiracies i've seen surrounding uh money exchange Mm mm-hmm because it's it's really not how <laughs> how it works. If you if you took all the currency in the world and you added up all of its value, it is less than 5% of all the world's assets in value. So even if you owned all the gold in the world, you would not actually be able to control commerce. Because even though you have all the currency, all the assets that still need to be traded around still have more value than the currency, and people still trade without needing actual currency. Because you can see that in any sure, film right. about the Great yeah. Depression, and even today, in I think it's the city, uh, the country of Peru or something, Toyota has been selling vehicles at a weighted amount of grain. <laughs> So you can, even where there's large amounts of economic anxiety and turmoil, there's car companies, foreign car companies, and they have a policy where you can buy directly from the company with grain. Interesting. Okay. I don't know what a car company does with about, I don't know, how many freight trains it takes of grain to equal (laughs) car. But farmers are buying all their tractors and vehicle needs with grain. 
I'm sure I'm sure because, they use it as trade goods, you know? Because when currency breaks down, people still find a way to trade goods for oh, other yeah. goods. Absolutely. So even if you all the gold in the world and everybody used gold backed currency, mm-hmm. you still wouldn't own the world. Yeah, there's always anyway, gonna be a form of currency. And then you'll hear all these people talk about cryptocurrencies and how they're the future and all of that. At the end of the day, it's still just a currency. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's really a small thing in the world of finance. Everybody really cares more about the value of their assets, of physical items more than they do their currency. If you look at if you go look up any big company that is uh, traded by um that is on the stock market and they have to publish their audits and you look up their financial balance sheet, you will find that the cash the company owns is minuscule compared to the amount of assets. Mm. You know, look up an airplane company. The majority of their assets are in airplanes because airplanes are freaking expensive and they own so many of them. And only like a few million dollars of cash. How much how much grain do you think it takes to fly on an airplane? Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Okay. All right. Well then let's mosey on to our next topic, the gender cult. Now I okay. uh, I I have to say this is something that um I've this is just something I've noticed. This isn't mm-hmm. like a topic that's discussed because Honestly, if you talk about anything against trans, not that it's against trans, but okay. So a trans person would probably listen to this and say, that's totally against trans, right? That's like totally against us. We don't want any of that, um, any of that negativity, uh, you know, but it's like, it's not, it's not. There's, uh, this whole topic is making me frustrated uh, for several reasons. So let me start with this. During Pride Month of 2021, Nickelodeon, you heard me right, Nickelodeon, a children's network, aired a disturbing video entitled The Meaning of Pride featuring drag queen Nina West. Is that it the was, video you sent that, me? That's the video I sent you. It, it's <laughs> called The Pride Song. <laughs> I can't be the only one who finds this very disturbing. A kid's network playing a pride and music video that features a drag queen teaching your kids, your young kids, about what it means to be gay and queer. Now, if you saw this video, you would know that it was tailor-made for young children. And I sent I sent this video over to um, my good my good friend here and co-host Conrad. And uh, <laughs> what did you think of the video? Give me your initial I- thoughts. Uh, the first thing I thought about it is it's one of those films that somebody makes and it's so creepy, but they didn't mean for it to be creepy. It reminds me of, and you'll see this all over the place, where somebody creates a mascot and it, or a children's movie and they'll have all of these talking animals and they'll have all of these talking puppets. Yeah, and yeah. just some of them have not been made right. No. And you look at that and go, that is nightmare fuel. And it just gives off this weird feeling and they don't get the the music right. And just things mm-hmm. just have this weird, creepy feeling. But the overall film, if you look at the, the overall or the overall production of this play or whatnot, nothing bad happens. There isn't anything that really awful that happens. But 
I think you, you said feel it like best. you're about it's about to become a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just expecting something with a chainsaw or an alligator right. or I don't know, a sharknado to pop up somewhere and just everything start bleeding from its eyeballs or something. Like, Such an amazing something movie. isn't right here. But I think you said it best when uh, you uh, you texted me back after I sent you that video. You said this is that was unsettling, and and it really was. Yeah, um, I, I'll link. The, yeah, I'll link the video in the description below. But but why why did Nickelodeon feature such a thing? Do they perhaps have an agenda? Well, that's what we're here to discuss. Another situation that's happening right now, and this article comes from the FRC. That's thefamilyresearchcouncil.org. Also, I will have a link to that. And the article is by one Tony Perkins, dated February 21, 2020. So this was last year. And the title of the article is called California Schools Hormones Through Homeroom? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Even in California, if you... Uh, if you... No, you have... <laughs> sorry. Even in California, you have to be 18 to get a tattoo. You have to be 16 to drive a car. You have to be 21 to buy a gun, alcohol, or pot. But if you want to change your gender, well, then you just have to be 12, and your public school will be more than happy to help. Need an abortion? Tell your teacher. Want to fill your birth control? Go to the school clinic. Thinking about starting hormone therapy and treatments? Your parents will never find out. At least, not under the policy... The California Teachers Association, the CTA, is pushing. That's the amazing revolution from last month's union meeting on uh, January the 26th. The CTA decided to go big on the LGBT agenda, adding transgender and binary youth to the students who can leave the class for medical reasons without their parents' permission. Very disturbing. A number of concerned teachers leaked the new language to the um, uh, Epoch Times, worried that no one in the state knew CTA believes comprehensive school-based healthcare clinics are needed to bring caring and responsive service to young people. The clinics shall provide cisgender, transgender, and non-binary youth equal and confident, uh, conf- uh, confidential access to decision-making rights for students and their families. Translation, a student can secretly pursue that transition in school without their parents ever finding out. And while the policy doesn't expressly say hormone therapy is a part of that access, in quotes, the CTA committee made it clear that's the final goal. As far as the union is concerned, the current law is an outrage since it does not allow trans students to begin hormone therapy without the consent of both legal guardians. Kids, they argue, should be free to take those drugs without the barrier of parent uh, parental permission. Just like they're free to get uh, um, uh, substances, right? Abortions without uh, calling home or popping birth control pills from the clinic's nurse. In a country where millions of parents entrust their kids to public schools, it's time for everyone to realize education has become the last, the least of concerns to, um, the, uh, for these school districts. And what's happening in Wisconsin schools where kids can assume a completely different identity without parents knowing has gone on in California since 2013, 2013. Michigan 
since 2016 and New Jersey since 2018. If this hasn't made it to your state, trust me, it's coming. The other side is moving as fast as it can get their hands on your sons and daughters. And in so many uh, horrifying cases, it's too late for anyone to stop them. How many stories start out like this, like this mom's? I only found out after the fact, she says. I went to the school counselor and I asked why they would let this happen. Why uh, weren't her parents uh, contacted to see what issues she may be going through before she came out as a boy? The school counselor replied, we're following the guidelines or the, yeah, the, uh, the guidance passed in Michigan since 2016 that parents are not to be notified if a child self-identifies as transgender. Now, her daughter was 12 years old. There are uh, literally hundreds of parents experiencing the same trauma or worse. And in California, where sixth graders would probably be able to start hormone therapy without permission, how many children will come home completely and radically altered? Healthy, normal teenagers like Sydney Wright, who cried when she saw what she became on uh, hormones. She said, two years ago, I was a beautiful girl heading towards a high school graduation. But after taking testosterone for a year, I turned into an overweight, pre-diabetic nightmare of a transgender man. The system, she said, failed her. I was treated for... I was treated with mega doses of powerful uh, testosterone that uh, uh, quickly changed my body, caused me to gain 50 pounds, and put me at risk for heart disease, diabetes, and teenage menopause. They didn't even talk to me about their treatment options. No one suggested I give myself time to grow or wait to see what happens with these counsel uh, counseling sessions. The only advice I got was to take the mega doses of testosterone. So this is mind-blowing stuff when you think about the implications of our future for right. our kids. I mean, what is going to what is the mental health of our future going to be? You know? I would say that that is extremely concerning that if somebody is, doesn't cuz even when in my own family, um, mm-hmm. family members have, I don't know, has a serious injury for mm-hmm. one. Yep. And they're, they're talking about the, the possible, um, treatments and all of that. They'll, 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 they generally would talk to my brother or my sister, depending on which incident we're talking about. And mm-hmm. they would say, this is, uh, you know, the different things. And then they would have my mother go to them and explain it to them in a way that they would understand mm-hmm. and then and then ask like what would you want then and even then typically it would be i don't know what do you think i should do mom mm-hmm. you know it, it's so weird that you would have and then, and even just now let's see how old would my sister would be uh, let's see 22 now i think and even now She'll still, she still asks my mother for her opinion on sure. even like minor things uh, uh, that, and not minor, but like could be permanent altering things, but like not major permanent things. It's just like, you know, your, your um, skeletal structure may not be the same or something like, because it was like a car wreck. Mm. 
what, what do you, it's you know which one do you want to go with and like i don't know what is the right thing it, you know it's minor in the long run of things like the differences yeah but it's still permanent right but the question is you're you're putting something that is even larger of a change and even more permanent of a change well not it's permanent it's pretty permanent it's, <laughs> it's and it's much more altering and you're putting it to somebody without counsel. Right. That isn't. And not only that, they're younger. Than they're young. These I are can't. little kids who don't even, oh. you can't even comprehend what, you know, fluid gender is. This this new age so, idea of what gender should be. This non-binary gender fluid. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's. And what you were describing was they weren't given different options. Like the doctor didn't come to them and say, we can do this, this or that. It's just a, here's this. Right. Here's this high and dose of testosterone. So it wasn't it. explained. It wasn't explained by somebody else who just broke it down, made sure that they understood it. And then there was no counsel given on it. It's just like a bam. Yeah, pretty much. So I would say that that is the equivalent of getting into a car wreck. Because you don't, you're, when you get in a car wreck, you're not given counsel <laughs> and you're not given the options. And it's just like you no. permanently changed. The, um, well, yeah, that's that's the thing. And then I found a video of a doctor speaking out about transgender propaganda. Now, his name is uh, Dr. Michael Laylad, uh, Laylaw, Laidlaw, yeah, Laidlaw. Um, he's a, a doctor from California, and he explains the devastating effects that puberty bro- uh, blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgical modifications can have on children's developing bodies. So, this is what he had to say. Now, these blockers stop growth. Whereas, say, a girl of age nine and continuing or developing or or beginning to develop in puberty and should continue until a full uh, adult woman, it stopped. Once you stop it, there are various harms and problems that occur afterwards. And unfortunately, many of our professional organizations are advocating this, including the endocrine society and it's important to bear in mind that there's a very small group of people controlling these societies small groups of people that are making these pronouncements and when a physician wants to turn to you know what's the best practice to handle this they're finding these things and there's no rigorous research done there are no controlled studies it's very poor research there is heavy-duty propaganda basically going on here. These gender clinics have sprung up and have multiplied across the country, and more and more kids are being diagnosed. So, when I was doing research on this, I saw a lot of YouTube videos of former trans, uh, transitional experienced people. Um, I'm going to go ahead and word it nicely. Where they initially thought... Um, as as I'm, I'm assuming most uh, trans people think, like, I don't, I'm not comfortable in my body, right? I want to alter it to make myself feel like more of how I view myself. And they said when they when they went to counseling to to transition, they they described a kind of a long process, right? You have to go to counseling, you have to talk through it, you have to have a therapist. And once you've firmly decided that transitioning is the best option for you, there isn't counseling on on transitioning itself. Once you've decided that this is what you want to do, you're just given what you're needed 
to transition, right? Mm-hmm. And many of them have stayed, uh, you know, in transition for, I don't know, a year or two. And then they decide that they're not happy. No one told them about all the changes that were going to occur, about the dysphoria that they're going to experience that's going to get worse. And then they're, they're, they, they want to transition back, but then they're left with the altercations. Like, take for instance, if a female wanted to be a man and then they ended up doing that and they weren't happy and so they wanted to go back to being a girl. They're left with that deep voice that they developed because of the testosterone, right? It, it, it's a permanent change. And they can't can't find themselves to get back to that uh, the original vocal level that they had when they were a, a girl. Those kind of stories happen a lot because they're just not prepared. And and mind you, that is with an adult making an adult decision, right? Mm-hmm. The thing we're talking about here are kids, twelve years and well, I guess okay. They didn't say younger than 12 years, right? <laughs> but 12 is young, man. You're, you're you're barely developing your body. And these schools want to help you transition if that's what you feel like. I feel like because of the, the implications and the harm that it does, I feel like th- that should be considered child abuse. Would that, would that be taking it too far? Uh, that's interesting because I personally have a different view of child abuse than I think some people. I'm more of a say closer to uh see i wouldn't there's some things that i wouldn't necessarily view as child abuse that other people would Mm -hmm. for instance um have you seen some uh of the african uh body piercings that they do in uh, africa a lot of the tribes do well i think one of the um some people would consider that child abuse and some people would consider when a child is first born, its skull is um, not set yet and you can actually shape it and you can actually shape people to have um, unusual shaped heads. But I wouldn't necessarily consider those things to be child abuse, even though that they're done to children and that they're unreversible mm-hmm. because it's kind of a cultural thing. And this, this isn't a cultural thing, though. I know. So what I'm saying is it could become a cultural thing, but then, I, I mean, it, it really depends because as far as I can tell, almost nobody, well, no, but there are people that do reg- regret those. It, it's really an odd thing. I think it, it comes down to intent when it comes to child abuse. Ah, uh, but even then, no, it's a weird thing. I don't really know how to, I would say child abuse is something that I can't quite put down on like words but I know it when I see it, you know, because mm-hmm. there's times as a kid that I don't know, I could say, nah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was spanked at a certain time, but I don't consider that child abuse now as an adult. I consider that as actually being very beneficial to me. I can see that as that helping me. <laughs> and then other people could look uh, at similar experiences in their own life and go, you know, that was very harmful to me, you know? And I think that in some cases it would be child abuse in other cases it wouldn't. I guess it's going to. I guess so it's going to be different, different on a on a. But when it comes to this this conversation of uh, transition and all of that, boy, I don't know. I have I I have had in the past, uh, like I was saying, a a looser version of what qualifies as child abuse, and then now I look at it and they go, you know, I have less tolerance in this area. Mm. I have a lot less tolerance for what constitutes a child abuse. So I really don't know. 
if I would say that that crosses the line of saying child abuse. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to differ on ev- everyone's personal opinion. Yeah. I would I, say I, I would say it's definitely endangering children. The fact that this happens without consent mm-hmm. or even notifying the parents. That's my big issue. Have Have you ever seen those people, those uh, ex- extreme environmentalist type that they have a dog and they say that their dog decided to go um, vegetarian? It's a weird thing. That People just say, sounds my nuts. dog has decided to become vegetarian and it is actually happier, happier eating vegetables now than it was when it was eating meat. But, no dog is happy eating vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the dog, the animals will actually survive on vegetables. But if given a blind test between that and raw meat. <laughs> oh, that dog is going meat, for the steak. For sure. Raw meat. Because it has, it has been this person's like, yeah, this is my vegetarian dog. And they bring it on for an interview and it says, yeah, my dog actually won't eat meat anymore, I found. And like, really? Well, uh, here we have some, you've brought some of your, um, your vegetables that you're going to show us your dog eating them. And then we have right here a bowl of meat. And we're just going to see which one it goes to. <laughs> and it's like, what, what on earth is this? This is the craziest thing. I would con- would you consider that animal abuse? Uh, n- I'm gonna have to say no. I don't think that's animal abuse. But uh, here's another thing. Uh, I would say I wouldn't necessarily call that animal abuse either. But I guess the main thing I'm getting at is when somebody says my dog is vegetarian, we know that it's not the dog making the decision, right? When somebody says that my child is trans, who's making the decision? So. I would say it's not necessarily child abuse. I mean, you know, if the, the child has the child, decided they want that. The child and, may have decided, right? But yeah. the child is also confused, doesn't have the whole picture, doesn't doesn't know the whole story, doesn't know all the side effects that comes with that, doesn't know the life-altering uh, implications that it's going to yeah. have. But let me, let me paint it in, in what I'm in this one scenario. Sure. Let's say you had a child. And you raised your child the way that you would, and not in any way that you would push your child to becoming trans, right? Mm-hmm. And then your child comes to you one day and says, I want to be trans. And you're like, ah, and you handle that however you think you would. Go talk to your mother. <laughs> anyway, and no matter what you or your uh, wife says to the child, the child's like, no, I want to be trans. And that goes on for an extended period of time. And even though you are not in a, let's say you're not in agreement and your wife's not in agreement uh, mm-hmm. with your child, your child decides to go ahead and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that child abuse where you didn't make the decision, but you didn't prevent it from happening? I, I mean, okay. In that scenario, right? Where would the child go? To get to get treatment, would he, would he go to would he go to the school? I suppose yes. So if he goes to the school and gets but his he treatment goes done, with your knowledge goes with my knowledge, yes. But he goes to the school for treatment nonetheless, right? Uh huh. I wouldn't be able to stop it, right? But because l- legally, the teachers' association if, wouldn't mm-hmm. allow me to stop it. But as a parent, you can do things that which aren't necessarily. Oh sure, <laughs> like I could, I could, you know, I, I could be like, you know what, we're gonna change schools. <laughs> You're gonna go to a <laughs> private school. Uh, you know, I could do that, but then it's like, 
but let's say in this scenario, the this version of you mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen. Right. Even And you said, you know, I really don't think that this is the best thing, but I'm not going to stop you if you go and do it. And then they're like, yep, I'm going to go do it. And then they go and do it. Would you say that you have, in, in some way, uh, facilitated child abuse? Well, I guess when you put it that way, no. So I think in some instances, I would say that it's not child abuse. But I don't think that the situation which I just described to you is common. No. The way that I think it really goes down is that the parents push or promote that their child do mm-hmm. uh, reassignment stuff. Because <laughs> um, I really can't, I can't see in any situation a child without outside um, assistance. Uh, ideas being put into their mm. head of them being like, you know what? I'm just going to go become this thing. Like if would that have been a thing 200 years ago? If like there was magic in the world, right? And mm. you could just cast a magical spell and poof, you were a, a, a different gender. Would that be something that a kid would do? Is it be, have you ever heard a kid say on their own? I am actually not the same sex that I am. I am a, my gender is different than my sex. Have I heard a kid say that? Or ever heard of a kid saying that for any, for any purpose, really? I, I, that just blows my mind that somebody would even conceive of such an idea without somebody else giving sure. that idea to right, them. Right, right, right. So the idea is, the, my, my thing is, somebody has to have been telling them. And then how was it presented to them? Yeah. And you know who's selling they, them? They, it's Nickelodeon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, so like we have all these, we have, we have all these media outlets that, that are easily accessible. Um, even if you don't have cable, all right, the kid is probably watching some YouTube trans star, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're getting these ideas that way, either one way or another, they're getting this information from somebody. There, there is a source out there, no matter where you think uh, these kids are going to look at, whether it's cable, whether it's the internet, more than likely it's probably internet. (laughs) (laughs) But so the big, the big topic here is, is, is there some kind of agenda going on here? That's really what I, that's why I labeled it the gender cult. Is there, is there an agenda here? There's certainly a a gender war going on. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, my answer is going to be yes. But what's your answer? <laughs> uh, when, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is, but I, I really don't know if it's in a spoken agenda somewhere. I think it's more of the silent type of agenda. Mm. Where it's like people know, they, to give it an example I would of agree this with agenda, you. There, there is, um, in, I've, I, I've never... Uh, many times in my life, I have wore a mask, okay? This is pre-COVID. Many times I sure. wore a mask, and it was mandatory in some places. And nobody ever once mentioned, it's my right not to wear a mask. Okay. In most cases, um, and, and you would meet folks, and they would wear masks, and the, it was because of allergies or because of sickness or something like that. And it, it, it really wasn't even on my radar as being something that one side of the political aisle would do it more than the other, right? And I think that when when COVID became political, 
<laughs> and you would find that there was a clear political divide on masks, right? Yep. And people, but it wasn't like there was an agenda for, or that there wasn't a spoken political agenda against masks. As in, you know, if, if you wear a mask, then what you're doing is, I guess I'm, I'm actually describing that there's not a agenda behind the wanting people to wear no because the way that i see it is that there is a political the whole thing's political right uh, around mm-hmm. mask is mm-hmm. how i believe it regardless on what actually um somebody if you're of the opinion that masks matter or masks don't matter or something like that try and see it from my perspective where i think that it is not a big deal we wearing a mask we're not wearing a mask I, I think it has very little of a importance sure and but a lot of people took it very seriously and i think that the the people that took it very seriously one way or the other were not doing it because of sickness one way or the other they were doing it politically one way or the other but nobody would say that there's a political agenda to wearing a mask uh or that they have a political agenda i should say Nobody would say, I have a political agenda for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. They might say the other side has a political agenda for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, but I don't. But I believe that every one who believes strongly for it or against it had a political agenda. But the agenda was not – so when um, some group would go promoting their stance on masks, it wasn't that they were – they would always speak from the position of science and not from the position – of political uh, stance, right? Mm-hmm. But I believe like the whole thing was political, that there was this huge tap dance sure that they were doing where everybody's saying it's scientific, that their side is a scientific side. But in reality, it's just a political tap dance and they're saying it's a scientific tap dance. And, at the, and I think the same thing is true of uh, the trans thing. There is an agenda but it's not the spoken one. And it's not it's like not everybody sat agenda. down and said, okay, in this uh, 2020 election, the way that we get Trump into office <laughs> is we get people angry about masks and that's going to help us. Okay. There wasn't like a actual acknowledgement of the agenda, yeah. but there was, but people who were politically charged and politically motivated, they were the ones that picked up on it and been like, yeah, this is a new political thing. I don't need to be told that it's a new political thing. I know because of the way that people treat it. So therefore, I will follow, get my marching orders by copying somebody else's um, mannerism, somebody else's speech and all of that. And I understand what they're trying to sell without actually having to tell me. Mm, mm-hmm. It's that whole part of they say, you know, only what, 8% of communication is spoken words or something like that verbal communication the other part is nonverbal right mm-hmm. i'd say that it's all commuted communicated nonverbally the silent uh, communication the silent agenda ooh that should be a good name for it <laughs> yeah well <clears throat> this is definitely something that's um, going to continue and it's it's going to be one of those topics that's just going to be a wait and see Wait and see what else happens. Wait and see if this is truly going to be uh, rolled out like statewide. Because you know, at the moment, I'm not sure if I mean I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure if any other country is doing this at all. But our country is. So it'd be interesting to see where it leads. What else? <sighs> what else comes of this? 
something to keep a, a watchful eye on. And yeah, I don't know. If you have uh, young kids at school, find out if they have a. Uh, <laughs> Find out if they have like a little clinic there that kids can go to and do. I would say that more important than that, when it comes to having kids and all of that is not what is everybody else doing to your kids, but what are you doing with your kids? Are you making your kids comfortable in their own skin? Are you you helping your kids, raising your kids in a way that is the best for your kids? Because you have more of an effect on your kids than everybody else does. And if you do your job properly, Absolutely. your kids won't turn to somebody else and be like, hey, Mr. Weird Guy on the internet who sings a song, what do you want me to be? <laughs> you know? Because th- I think that that's probably a good portion of it. People look up to, kids look up and mimic and learn from their idols. I mean, that's, that's a well-known thing that people sure. want to be just like the people that they admire. Sure. So instead of trying to prevent other people from being models that you dislike to your kids, try and find a way to get your kids to model what is the best. But yeah, then also check your school. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Are you there, Eric? Yep. What happened? Uh, Nothing. It just was real quiet on your end of the line. (laughs) I thought you disconnected or something. Oh, was it real quiet on my side? No, like I thought you disconnected from me and you can, like I thought you, Oh, <laughs> I thought we had some kind of technical issue or something going on, but no, I'm here. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's the topics we wanted to talk to you about today. And it was kind of refreshing talking about brand new topics we haven't discussed yet. A uh, bit of a break from the paranormal UFO stuff, which speaking of, dun, dun, dun. Halloween is coming up, and we're going to be doing our Halloween special uh, episode, so stay tuned for that. That's probably going to be our next one, so I suppose that will conclude today's episode. If you want to email me, because you hated everything we said on today's show, you can do so at uh, www.mcdonalds.com. You can send them an email. (laughs) No. You can send me an email. It's fine. Send me an email. It's uh, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. It's always going to be in the description. Conrad, did you... you <laughs> did you imagine the confused person? McDonald's, <laughs> who gets an email uh, complaining about their podcast and like, what on earth? We have a podcast? What did we say? <laughs> that would be hilarious. But Conrad, do you have uh, final final thoughts on today's show? My favorite politician is uh, Davy Crockett. Yeah? Why is that? Um, Oh, there's there's a ton of things. It'd take a a while to go through his entire, the entire reasons that I like him. But one of his most famous quotes is, well, there's the one about Texas. There's a few about Texas. But of his quotes that aren't about Texas, his most famous one is, be sure you're right. And then go ahead. Mm. And when he said that, he was emphasizing both parts to be very important. And a lot of people, when they hear that, they they make their they emphasize the first part, like make sure you're right. But then he also emphasized like actually do something. <laughs> right. Uh, but I would say that that probably rings true more. <laughs> 
So much so when it comes to the idea of uh, transgender, you know, like, you know, make make sure you're absolutely right before you do something like that. Uh, yes. Uh, but uh, probably uh, another one of his quotes that I'll, I'll leave you all with because this one's funny is uh, Congress because he was a congressman at a time, David Crockett. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Congress allows lemonade to the members and it has charged the station. Uh, the, it is charged under the station head. Ah, I'm messing this one up. Congress allows lemonade to the members and it, it is charged under the head of stationary. I also, uh, I move that uh, whiskey also be allowed under the item of fuel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's, um, I th- it's kind of like a two part thing is uh, Davy Crockett is like, wow, this place is corrupt. We're, we're drinking lemonade and we're calling it stationary. Anyway, can we have some fuel in here? I'd like some whiskey yeah. to burn, of course. It's like uh, it's like when Colonel Sanders said he was too drunk to taste his own chicken. <laughs> well, that's going to be a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. If you want to email us, you can do so at bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.